Hi, this is Boyd Barrett. Back when I first released Kabod, a foundational narrative, I sent it to several people who I respected to, to get their response to the project. And one of those that I heard back from was Brad Jersak, a Canadian author and theologian whose writings and talks I'd been following. He responded with a positive review, which I appreciated so much at the time. So when I decided to do this podcast, I contacted him to see if he would be willing to come on and, and talk for a bit, not only about Kabod, but also about his book, A More Christlike God, A More Beautiful Gospel, and the children's version of that book, Jesus Showed Us. I had a great time talking with him about some of the topics that intersect between his work and Kabod. So I'll let you eavesdrop. Here's my conversation with Brad Jersak. Well, I'm on the phone with uh, Brad Jerzak, and uh, hi, Brad. Hi, boy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this uh, this visit. Uh, you know, I've got this uh, podcast talking about Kabod, a foundational narrative, which is a project that I did a couple of years ago, and, and you were one of the people that I sent it to back then, and uh, you you responded back with a you know a positive uh, review to me and and I appreciate that so much so uh, I wanted to wanted to get you on and and we want to talk about that and some other things but uh, uh, to to get things started I want to tell folks a little bit about you uh, you know because you you've been somebody that I've listened to as far as your talks and as well as your books uh, your things on social media and you've been formative uh, in in my life and and others as well as far as just some of the things that 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 you're up to you're you're not only a a theologian but uh, you've done pastoral work you've worked uh, not not just in the 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 head knowledge realm but but one on one with people and and so I know you you've got a a good feel for um for a, a broad range of things so I I appreciate you um being able to visit with with me about uh, Kabod. Happy to, yeah. Uh, now, one of the things that, that I think for me, you're one of the voices right now that um, are providing a foundation for people uh, who have been believers in Jesus, uh, followers of Jesus for a long time, but but see the church kind of uh, crumbling. Some of the, the the structure that's been around us. Um, you know, I think just failing us a lot of times, and some of what you and and others are doing, I think, are it really provides a foundation for us to to be able to uh, find some footing again. So I I really appreciate that. I'm happy mm-hmm. about that. We we because we are seeing this mass exodus, right? From really uh, the the phenomena of the nuns and duns, mm-hmm. nun as in mm-hmm. non-affiliated, and done as in done with structured. Uh, church at least, uh, is now in the tens, closer to the hundreds of million, hundred million in, in this yeah. case. Uh, some estimates are 85 million. And then, and then what we're finding out is that they're not necessarily done with faith. And so then what? What, what is going to emerge right. out of this? Exactly. And, and, and we're, we're still finding out what that's going to look like. Um, and, you know, and I think you, you're dealing with some of those major issues that that are causing some of this, the exodus from churches. Um, 
you know, I know, in, and I, I want us to be able to talk about several things today. You know, eventually we'll we'll talk about Kabod and you know, kind of what you think about that. But I want to talk first of all about a couple of books. Your really your latest two books. Uh, one is uh, a more Christ-like God, a more beautiful gospel, which I, you know, I read and and I even <laughs> gave you a video um, review of that one as uh, as the uh, the Church Father Irenaeus. Irenaeus, and uh, that was fun to do. Um, <laughs> as the yes. the dead theologian, I appreciated book. that. It was <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, as you know, I'm a, a big fan of yours, and so then to have somebody that I not I don't only enjoy your you know the voice that's produced coming out of your vocal cords, but when I can see the expressions on your face, yeah. and then to have you play the part of my namesake, uh, that is mm-hmm. my Orthodox name. Uh, right. It was, it was so encouraging, and and uh, thank you for doing that. Sure. Yeah, that was that was fun, and and so I, you know, I was able to to talk about a little bit about the book in that. We can we can go into detail there, but first of all, tell us um, a little bit about uh, why you did choose Irenaeus uh, as as your name, and 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 maybe a little bit of your journey into into the Orthodox faith. Okay. Well, um, when when somebody is a is an adult and becomes Orthodox, they don't necessarily rebaptize you, but they chrismate you, which is the anointing with oil, and and then you affirm the Nicene Creed, and then sometimes you're given a name as well, and so they tell you to think about um, historical figures who are inspiring to you, and maybe that you. They, that they have some traits that you would want to have in greater part. And so Irenaeus was um, a second century Christian father who is considered the founder of, um, or the father of systematic theology, and that's my mm-hmm. training. Right. And then he was known for not just trying to be right. He wanted to be winsome. Uh, he didn't want to just label people heretics, but when he did see... Uh, trouble. He loved to reason with people, and his name actually, you know, comes from this word for peace. Oh, okay. uh, to be uh, I- irenic, right, is to be peaceful, right. to be a right. peacemaker. Um, on top of that, his at least his his Catholic feast day is my birthday, and my mom's name is Irene. So all of these oh. things sort of conspired <laughs> together. Um, okay. And our current Archbishop of Canada, up where I live, is his name is Archbishop Irenae. That's the French way mm-hmm. of saying, uh, mm-hmm. or also Eastern European. So I thought I would like to be a theologian who's more winsome. I'd like to be more of a peacemaker. I'd like to honor mm-hmm. my mom and have a, some mm-hmm. someone special to celebrate on my birthday. That's great. Now, and you feel like your theology uh, fits better in that tradition at this point That's yeah there was there. a couple yeah a couple main themes that that drew me over so so one was I began in probably oh the early 2000s to really see uh, that the heart of God is love only mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that anything else we say about God is not as over against love it's a facet of love the way uh, so all the attributes of God would be like facets of this one diamond called love, and this is very much their heart. Um, there's some there's some 
spin-off to that. So when we say God is love only, uh, not holy plus uh, love plus holy or plus wrath or plus anything, uh, we would we would see the experiences of God all all reflecting His love somehow. Right. Well, then that makes you second guess some of the Western versions of how we've understood what was going on on the cross. Mm-hmm. And when I when that began to unravel for me specifically. Uh, when I began to reject the idea that God needed to appease his wrath through violent punishment of his own son, uh, that got me in some trouble in, with yeah. Western uh, evangelicals. And yet, uh, when I talked about this with Archbishop Lazar, who's my spiritual father, and he's the abbot at the monastery where I, I go visit him, he said, oh, well, no, we, you're, you're, you're not even supposed to believe that. That's that's a, that's Molech. That's not <laughs> Yahweh. And, right. and I said, you mean I don't have to believe God was punished? The Father's punishing Jesus? He said, no, you mustn't. In fact, there's 350 million of us who don't believe that. Wow. He also yeah. gave me permission then to believe that God was not only pouring out wrath on, on his son, but he's not intent on pouring wrath out on anybody. And so... Right. Uh, I'm very hopeful that that there may be no one in hell when we, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and again that gets you in trouble. Right, uh, right. Not a dogma of mine, but I'm I'm hopeful that God yeah. in fact will restore everybody through His love. And I found out I'm a, among the Orthodox. I'm allowed to believe that and not be yeah. called a heretic. So and that's and that's one of your books as well, right? Uh, is it her gates yeah. will never be shut. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I, those those are two two things that I think a lot of people are are um, struggling and, and wrestling with, trying to find where they where they are with it, and and that's why I appreciate what what you're doing. So that, it's so also that, why many have been leaving the church too. Really, I mean, exactly. I, have, I have all these exactly. secret meetings with people saying, "Oh, I can't believe in God anymore because of this or that," and I'm like, "Well, you don't have to throw." Throw God under the bus over some bad ideas about Him. Yes. <laughs> so. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's and 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 I know that's probably why it, what compelled you to write a more Christ-like God, a more beautiful gospel, because you want people to see that God is not like that and and see what He really is like. Why don't you just quickly give an overview, and then I want to I want to drill down a little bit into into a few things that that hit me when I was when I was reading it. But just give a, uh, an overview of that book. Um, a More Christ-Like God is about a more beautiful gospel, and which is the subtitle. Uh, so mm-hmm. I begin the book by talking about some of the distorted images of God that we develop, whether it's through childhood indoctrination or through bad experiences in life or just uh, through things we've inferred. And um, and that when we have these toxic images of God, it's, you know, first of all, it's a distortion of who God really is, but also it affects our lives in practical ways uh, because we become like the God we worship somehow. So right. I've noticed angry people have an angry God. And merciful people mm-hmm. have a merciful God. And then, um, so I do some deconstruction around these various toxic images, whether it's the harsh judge or the absentee, father or 
you know, the God that's like a, a sugar daddy you try to manipulate. And I mm-hmm. say, okay, if, if these don't work, what will be our image of God? And I believe that if there is a God, uh, the Bible says that that God is mm-hmm. love. And mm-hmm. if you want to know what that love looks like, uh, we, lo- we look at Christ as the image of God. And so I even know that, you know, folks who have a tremendously difficult time with the idea of God or with church or any of that, but they quite like Jesus. And I said, well, what mm-hmm. if Jesus is a picture of God's love in human form? And when we, when we see that love uh, in how he treated people, how he treated broken people, disabled people, how he treated women and children, how he treated people on the margins and those who've been excluded by religion, uh, then we're getting to the heart of the, of, of the real nature of God. Right. And then uh, I add to that uh, that it comes into focus, especially at the cross. And, and the question is, how so? What does the cross come to mean as a symbol? Why do we have jewelry with crosses? It's not that we're glorifying a Roman method of torture, but that we see in the cross God revealed as self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so to me that is, that is the nature of God revealed on the cross, uh, this, this kind of a, a love that's poured itself into the world uh, and, and that responded to even rejection and violence and hatred, with, not with wrath and punishment, but with forgiveness and embrace. And so I see the open arms of Jesus as a real welcome of God himself. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is. And that's, that is the beautiful gospel. That is. Um, well, you know, I, when, when, I was, when I was reading the book, and by the way, for those of you who are listening, this book, has, it, it's very rich. I mean, there's just there's depth in it that, that I'm, I'm going, I, I'm actually on my second time through and getting so many things that I didn't get the first time. And one of the things that I, that I got this time, Brad, is when you're talking about kenosis, which, of course, is, is the word this time about emptying, the, how how God emptied Himself, and uh, I guess that's the Philippians passage where He uh, condescended to become a a man. Um, and you, this time I saw that you said God didn't empty His nature, and that was that was a kind of a, a, a new revelation for me. When God became man, He didn't empty His whole nature. And can you kind of um, expand on that a little bit? Sure. So we've had this idea, and it is from Philippians chapter 2, and it's, mm-hmm. it's that um, even though that he's, he's equal with God, God, the word, uh, in assuming human nature and experiencing the full depths of the human condition, including death, at no time did he cease to be God in his very nature. Well, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, remember, if God is love, are we saying that he became less loved by becoming human? In fact, he shows us what God is really like as love by showing us actually what human nature is meant to be really like. And so right. he's, he, he, he doesn't become less God because he's still fully loved, but also mm-hmm. uh, it's a revelation of, of, of the true humanity. And so when I'm not acting in love, I'm actually becoming less human. And so now in this one person, we're saying, oh, we're seeing the fullness of God's love, 
and we're seeing the fullness of human potential, and that happens to be love as well. And so when when it talks about God, uh, God, or God in Christ emptying himself, it's not like he took a bucket and poured it out, and now he's this empty bucket, but rather mm-hmm. it's more like this eternal spring of love being poured out like a waterfall. And so it's um, in the old Latin theology, they say it was God's self-donation. It's a, it's a giving away without mm-hmm. ever being depleted. Wow. So it's like this eternal spring of, of life uh, that never runs dry. So it's an emptying but into, but it's not really an emptying out. And so yeah. I, I yeah. think if we keep our focus on the nature of God as love, then it becomes more obvious. And that, in fact, Christ wasn't just like disguised so you mm-hmm. couldn't see his godness. In right. fact, it's a kind of unveiling of the true nature of godness, which is so surprising because it looks nothing like the power-hungry gods of Rome or Greece or the other, you know, right. the, that, are like, like, that are so Zeus-like in a sense. And you're like, wait a minute. This isn't God pretending to be a humble servant. Mm-hmm. It's that That's God is. actually is humble, and He uh-huh. has served us by creating all things. Yes, yes. Oh boy, yeah. That's that's fantastic. Now, um, the next thing that hit me was the when you said that the divine love is made up of two things: one is consent, and then participation. Now go go yeah. over that just a little bit. Consent and participation. Okay. So um, often we've tried to take comfort in this idea that God is in control, but then you start thinking about that. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, first of all, is that is that actually what we see in the world right now? Is he going around controlling everything? Is If he's in control, he's not very good at it. So That's what's right. going on with that? Um, and the idea is that while other gods were imagined to be gods who who ruled the world by force, and um, uh, the God revealed in Christ actually rules the world by love. And one element of love is is consent. Um, mm-hmm. So much of a, a marriage, for example, a marriage that works based in love makes authentic space for otherness. And what I mean by that is I'm not imposing my will upon my wife. Uh, my wife is most free when, when I consent to her, to, to her being truly herself and vice versa. And when, so when we have this mutual consent in, in our marriage, uh, that's one aspect of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we can see this kind of God ruling the world by love by consenting to uh, natural law doing its thing and by human freedom doing its thing. Of course, that's also then very messy because the very same laws that allow us uh, to stand on the earth without sinking into molten lava uh, also create hurricanes and tsunamis and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so whereas some people imagine the gods to be causing all of these tragic kind of natural event, um, uh, we would say, no, God has, has created a world that, that is good for us to live in, um, but natural law also ha- takes casualties at some time. A good example of this is gravity is a good law, and mm-hmm. if you step off a cliff, it will kill you, and God right. doesn't levitate people 
when they step mm-hmm. off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he consents to natural law. Also, he consents to human freedom so that we're not mm-hmm. robots. Or, yes. And yet, that also allows for the possibility of rebellion and for us to harm one another. Right. So if yeah. we were to stop there and just say, okay, God's a God of consent, it would be a little bit like what we call the deists who thought of God as winding up the universe and walking away. Mm-hmm. And yet I think that would, that would not be love. <laughs> so love requires not only consent but participation. Mm-hmm. And I see this in a couple of ways. I see divine participation at the nature of love permeating the whole universe. And so we have this great prayer in the Orthodox Church of the spirit of truth who is in all places and fills all things. And so uh, I don't see, I I actually, I don't see love as a departure from the universe or even miracles as an interruption of divine law, of, of natural law, but rather that there is this love that is the highest law Mm-hmm. undergirding everything around us and uh, and that we can participate in that. But also God participates uh, in that way, but also then this is where the incarnation mm-hmm. becomes important, that God has participated mm-hmm. in human suffering in order to overcome human suffering through love. And he's participated in in all the human struggles that we have faced so that he can actually say, oh, I, I understand you, right? And mm-hmm. I will walk with you. And so although uh, we would say bad stuff happens, at the same time we say we have a God who is with us in it and, and uh, mm-hmm. experiences mm-hmm. that with us and can strengthen us, us through it. Yes. Yeah, that you know, that was uh, one of the things that... that I felt like I was wanting to get across in Kabod is is in this consent, consent from the from the foundation of the world, from the very yeah. beginning of creation. There was some something that happened within the the within the Kabod, the dance of the Trinity, the perichoresis, all of those terms. Something that happened there that uh, that that brought out that consent when 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 the decision was made to create beings, the decision was also made, like you said, to provide the freedom and to uh, and, and to allow uh, to, to consent to the things that were going to be evil or bad that was it was going to happen because of that free will. Um, so that is that, that what you're saying? Yeah, I am saying that and, and that um, that knowing that, um, that if we're going to create the conditions for real, mm-hmm. authentic freedom and love, that there is that that there is going to be a cost to that, right? That, right. And that God Himself will undergo that cost in a way mm-hmm. that will mm-hmm. restore all the damage from right. that cost. Right. I also even really even like before it, it was done. Yeah. Even before it's done, and this is, uh, to get ahead of ourselves a bit, this is one of the things I love about, about Kabod, mm-hmm. is that it comes into sync with, with what I'm seeing about kenosis, and that is this kenosis, this self-emptying, this self-giving love um, that we see on the cross. If it, that, that is the nature of love, and that means it didn't just happen on the cross. That meant, mm-hmm. let's go back in time. And this is gets right. more into the the, the Kabod teaching, is that 
uh, the act of creation itself was an act of self-giving and an act mm-hmm. of making space for authentic otherness and an act right. of, in a sense, uh, a crucifixion uh, of mm-hmm. God uh, from being all there is. Mm-hmm. And so when we read in the book of Revelation, it says that this lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. I I think that it's not only talking about that they planned for the cross to happen. What, what actually happened is that in God's self, at creation itself, there's this self-emptying. That, that, right. Um, and then if it's truly God's nature, it can't have only begun with creation. It actually mm-hmm. had to be some aspect of God's eternal being as love where Father, Son, and Spirit are self-giving to one another. Right. This right. eternal deference and mm-hmm. space making and pouring into each other and so even so when you use a word like perichoresis it's, so, it's sort of like already starting with that premise that there's this divine yes. dance of love, consent and participation in the trinity even that, that generates mm-hmm. the, their, mm-hmm. their purpose to create all things if that makes sense right. yes, yes, absolutely and, and so that decision the decision that was made before creation in a sense, was the the reality of the of the Lamb already slain, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and then Jesus brought it into space and time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The the, the physical, yeah. Um, now you also mentioned, and and I know you you've done a lot of work. I mean, I, I know I've got to I've got to start reading uh, Simone Weil's work because uh, you you mentioned her a lot, and yeah. um, you know her version of of God. Uh, withdrawing or dying at the foundation of of creation. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, in a lot of the a lot of theology had 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 talked about God um, creating all things out of the fullness of His being, uh, the overflow of His love, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also reflected something that you see among uh, Kabbalistic Judaism as well, and that is a withdrawal of God and, and in the sense of making space. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it's not that he's withdrawing from us, but it's that theoretically or theologically, there was, prior to creation, there was nothing but God, and now there's something other than God, and so that involves like making space. And I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's all, that's mainly what she was thinking about it. And and um, yeah, she's a very complex woman. So when she yeah. when she thinks when she thinks of God, I I really think that what I've been writing on about kenosis is what she was getting at, and that what she was trying to say was this self-emptying, this the even crucifixion itself, in a mm-hmm. sense, is mm-hmm. is in the nature of God's heart from all eternity. It's a laying down of yeah. power um, that, you know, the all-powerful one is also mm-hmm. all-powerless or okay. has the capacity to lay down power even to the point of consenting to our us killing him. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, the, the upside is that... Um, God doesn't stay dead. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you even said in the book that the image of God is omnipotence laid down. 
Yeah, you know, that, that laying, laying down, laying down his life, laying down, down and and then, and I was trying, I was trying my best to grasp this, but you said because we're made in the image of God, yeah, and that's that's how we're supposed to live, is laying yeah. down our own power. Is that is that what you're getting at? Right, and so so God is not just pure will. Um, and, or pure power, this idea that God in his nature as love is, is, is potential power laid down, well then you see, that, then there's an order to this. So in, in Adam and Eve, the, the, the story of Adam and Eve is about Adam and Eve wanting to grasp at God-likeness, but God-likeness is not about grasping. <laughs> it's about mm-hmm. laying down. And so he, he gives them this very simple possibility. Here is a fruit, and you have the power to take it and don't. If you don't, you'll be like me. But in their autonomous kind of willfulness, mm, oh, we're yeah. going to be like God by taking it. Well, this oh, is, wow. comes up yeah. then again in, in Philippians 2, where it's like, and here's Christ, and he has the power to grasp. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and he doesn't. He lays down and, and, and he empties himself. And in emptying self, himself, becoming willing instead mm-hmm. of willful, he, he shows us uh, what, God, what God is all about. Wow. And now that's, yeah. for, that's for us to participate in. So we, too, mm-hmm. love God through consent and participation. Okay. And it looks like moving from willfulness to willingness. Now, the problem in Simone Weil, she she's wonderful, but if there would be one critique, it would be that she was she so saw the problem of willfulness and like self-will as, as the root of all human problems that she wanted to be will-less oh. and willfully so. <laughs> <laughs> so she becomes this ultra-defiant person and uh, uh, who who wants to eradicate her will and yet what what Christ shows us in the Garden of Gethsemane is that it's not about the eradication of human will. It's about uh-huh. it's about a willingness as a as the perfect expression of the, what our will is to function in. To con- right. Consenting to supernatural love that's not that's a lot better than just crucifying yourself somehow, which I, mm-hmm. I think she mm-hmm. kind of did. So. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. In, in, a, in a practical way, to to um, to live like the the image of God that we see in in the kabod in in the perichoresis, you know, if, if we to live like that, that's that's our goal is to 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 be in community with whoever we're around, uh, yeah. and and to be able to to give and to receive. Equally, um, and and to lay down our own power, sacrifice, all that, but but to be able to receive as well. Um, so you know, it's just it's such a beautiful picture. Um, and and speaking of pictures, you know, I think that's that's the one thing I when I was doing Kabod, I realized there's just so many images in Scripture, and you know, I, I picked I picked you know the ones that I felt like I could tell the story with. Um, and and one of the ones, and you deal with this in the book, uh, is the lamb and the lion. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think with, with what I'm doing 
and I feel like we're saying the same thing because what what I feel like is that the lamb is the the perfect picture of the ultimate sacrifice that love is, and then yep. the lion is the picture of ultimate love, the victory of ultimate love, not ultimate yep. power, but ultimate love. When 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 the the sacrifice that happened in 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 spiritual reality at the foundation of the world or before the foundation of the world and then in in time and space with the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Well, let, let me pick up yeah. there. Um, I think okay. that this lion and lamb imagery is, is mm-hmm. quite profound. And so I, I sort of see it very similarly to you. I think about, and, and it's funny because when it comes up in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. uh, someone someone says to John, hey, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah but then when John goes to look, yeah, he the sees the lambs mm-hmm. as, as those slain. And so right. so I'm thinking um, it's not that, that God or Christ or love is not, is not a lion, but what we see is that it, that lion does represent the victory of love, mm-hmm. and then the lamb mm-hmm. represents the means of that victory. There so he go. utterly mm-hmm. conquered, but he utterly conquered by laying down his life. There you and go. then, yeah, and then, and then taking it up again, and so, is that kind of tracking with you, boy? Yes, it is. It very much is. And you know, the the, the last song that I in in Kabod, some of the lyrics are, "Let the lion arise from out of the lamb, heaven's yeah. only disguise oh. to conceal the I am. He has raised the lamb that was slain." And and then I go on, you know, to just talk about the the victory that the, and 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 it's a, like I say, it's an, it's not a victory because of the power of God is the victory because of the the emptying out and the sacrifice of God. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I really think that's the that's the message. That's the gospel. Um, it's kind of phoenix-like, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Rise! I love the imagery of the lion rising up out of the land, and and then leading a big part of the Orthodox world is leading a host of captives behind it. That those who, a parade of those who were in captivity now coming in behind this land in, in royal procession as, as those who mm. experienced the truth that he now holds the keys of death and Hades. And so, yeah. so the, there's this powerful um, victory theme there that, that uh, death doesn't, doesn't, uh, hold the keys of death. You know, it's not right, this right. thing over us. These keys swinging over our heads, terrifying us anymore. In fact, <laughs> the, the one we can trust with those keys has, has, has kind of come forth out of the tomb, and he's and, and yes. spiritually, yes. We're, we've come are following him out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, now, before we get too much, but I, you know, I, I don't want to hold you too much longer, but but I want you to to mention your your. New book, the newest book, which is a children's book, and uh, why you wrote it. It's called Jesus Showed Us. We 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 got a couple of copies because we have uh, we actually got three copies, one for us and then one for each set of grandkids that we have. Um, and um, you know, I, I I read it. It's it's wonderful. Just uh, you know, uh, but uh, tell tell us a little bit about why you did that. Okay, well, a um, couple things. One is that it was in a sense it. Jesus showed us is the children's version of of uh, mm-hmm. more Christ-like God, right? And 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 so what's going on there is uh, on each page uh, we've got 
we've got 16 images. They're sort of, um, they're, they're almost like um, Coptic Orthodox icons, but like very cartoony, uh, the big eyes, almost um, like anime. But, but mm -hmm. it's, it's this, um, these, these 16 stories from the actual Gospels, and on each of those stories, the text of it um, begins with the question, what is God like? And then the answer is, Jesus showed us. And so each of the stories of the Gospels then becomes the revelation of God through Jesus. And what is that revelation? And on page after page after page, we are telling children, God, Jesus showed us that God is love. That's, that's the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine a generation of kids that could be raised on the idea that Jesus is the revelation that God is love and, and that he loves them and that it's yes. not love plus anything and so on. So, so in general, it is the children's version of this kind of God is love in yes. Christ message. And then I'll just add one other uh, inspiration for it was that back in the day um, when when we began unraveling this kind of what I think is more toxic atonement theology of God who needs to appease his wrath by punishing his son. It, when that unraveled and we started saying the cross is, is a revelation of self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love of God, then, then the question was, all right, how do we teach this to kids? So initially right. I, was, I was thinking we might have to have a whole book for kids, just why did Jesus die? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then um, I, I, I thought, let's expand it to, you know, why did God become man? Why, what did Jesus yeah. show us about God? And then, and then I kind of get that message about the cross onto the, onto the page that has the picture of the cross. And yeah. I, I was satisfied that we said enough about that for now. But I really think it's like absolutely critical that we tell kids the right stuff about the meaning of the cross or it can become a real uh, a dysfunction in their in their little spiritual lives you know that yes. grows into uglier things later and Absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping that we nailed it so oh well i think you did and i can't wait to read it to my grandkids because you know that, I think that will, will just be so helpful um and i yeah, i appreciate both of your you know, well, I, uh, your other books as well, but these last two were the ones that, that uh, I wanted to, to really hit. And of course, anybody that wants those can can find them, I'm sure, on Amazon and any other place that they can they can get books. Um, before before I let you go, Brad, you know, one thing that yeah, I I have listeners who are uh, believers in Jesus. I have listeners who may be just hanging on to trying to believe in Jesus, and and then. I have hopefully I have listeners out there who maybe are not believers at all in the Jesus that we uh normally think of and, and are just out there they they may not believe in God at all, they may but 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 they still have the same kind of questions like what is at the center of the core of the universe? What is what is it? And speak to, I think probably that that last that last group. I think we've already kind of spoken to the to the Christians out there and uh, those who were a little more versed with with biblical things. But to, to those who aren't, how would you give this same message about about love being the center of all things? Okay. Yeah, um, I would say it this way. Um, 
I'm going to start by quoting my friend Frank Schaefer. He mm-hmm. says he starts it this way. He'll say, "Physicists tell us that before matter there was energy. That's a scientific fact. Before there was matter, there was energy." And when I think of the best name for the energy that created this universe, uh, this world, my children, I think the best name for the energy that poured out all of that wonderful matter is love. Mm-hmm. And um, and so and and then I'll say you know so if there is a God and if is a faith statement, I think we don't prove that. I think it forever would be a faith statement. If there's a right. God, then that God then that God is love. And and if that God is truly love, and if that if if it's if it's infinite love, then that God would have created all of your listeners, loves all of your listeners, is always and has ever always been for your listeners. Mm-hmm. And if you if you would if you want to see that, what that love looks like that's that's why I'm a Jesus guy because that mm-hmm. kind of love not only has wound up this universe and has affection for everyone who's listening but to tr- be truly infinite love would instantiate as a person and um and 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 take up our, our sorrow and the wounds we've experienced and mm-hmm. and infuse meaning into into life and so uh you know i was i got to share some of this at the university of beijing in a science class <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i had a physicist with with me there or a geologist actually teaching physics and, and and what he said is you know when i just look at when i look at the universe around me it implies that there is meaning and there is hope and there's a reason mm-hmm. to live and so then the students would say well, what is it? Because <laughs> uh, they they had come to they had gone as far as they could. Some of them were postdoctoral students in nuclear physics, and they they'd come to the end of life without God and life mm-hmm. without meaning or whatever. And he said, oh, "I'm sorry, that's a theological question. We can't talk about that." <laughs> but after the <laughs> class, uh, we have a theologian here who will tell you. And it really was this that the meaning of life is is, is love, and that there is a God who loves us and who has welcomed us into His family of love. Yes, and when we when we participate in that, um, love happens instead of just stuff. <laughs> oh, so wow. that's some yeah yeah. And, that but, is so good. But it's this God who's always for us. That I think that's the key mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the core the core of the universe, the center of everything, is positive and it is good and loving. You know that's that's the the bottom line. Uh, it's the fabric of all things, mm-hmm. in a sense. And mm-hmm. when we flow with the fabric, life goes better, I think. Yes. And when yes. we run against the grain of that fabric, we, we land on our absolutely. own sword somehow. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, is there any before we leave uh, anything uh, anything else that uh, that you'd like to share? Um, you know, I I do know you you mentioned that even the the uh, the instrumental version of Kabod, I think you even used. To do some writing with, uh, and I, I appreciated that. Yeah, that's right. I just want to say, like, I think when I contacted you after getting it, I, I, I said, my, the only downside was not being able to see your face. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I do have to say this: that 
uh, you know, the whole goal, like, of of sharing the story of God in a beautiful way, it's been mm-hmm. utterly fulfilled. And oh, okay. and I believe that in our culture, we we have sought so hard after, let's say, truth, for example, but we forgot what the ancients knew, and that is that beauty is a criteria for truth. Mm-hmm. And so. When when some when, when we get a story and it's all fact or a theology and it's all ugly, mm-hmm. somehow it's missed the truth. And I just really wanted to right. affirm you and, and endorse um, the, the, the CDs, but and also this podcast that what you're doing is doing it in a beautiful way, and that is a criteria for truth. And more the more I see it, the more I'm like, if if God is good. And that goodness is expressed as beauty, truth, and justice. Mm-hmm. We've been really light on the beauty part. Yeah, we <laughs> and, have. And, and you are raising the bar on that. I'm so appreciative. Well, of that. thank you so much. It's, it's like your friend Brian Zahn says, beauty will save the world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That, yeah. Wow. Well, um, thank you so much, Brad, for taking the time to to visit, and we'll uh, we'll get this up and and let people listen to it and. I know it will uh, it will inspire some people. So we just love what you're doing and keep it up. Thank you so much. Thanks once again to Brad for a great visit about some beautiful truths. Um, I'll put in the the notes with this podcast some links to uh, Brad's books and uh, love for you to to check those out. In the next episode, we'll pick up where we left off with the next track in Kabod, a foundational narrative. Until then, 